This is the Scale with Psychology podcast, where you're going to optimize your psychology to exponentially scale your business and become the ultimate version of yourself. I'm your host, Ani Manian, widely known as the Mind Whisperer and trusted advisor and psychedelic therapist to the world's top entrepreneurs and leaders. And I believe that entrepreneurship is a mental game. And the main constraint in any business is not the strategies and tactics, but the psychology of the founder. And with each episode, I'm going to help you take your life in business to levels you never thought possible. If you're ready to play the game of life and business in God mode, then this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, with me today is Joel Sanders. Joel is a three-time founder and the CEO of Apartment Insiders. Welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you. Glad to ha- glad to be here and I'm very excited to be here. So you're a bit of a masochist in that every company you founded has been in the real estate space. And uh, real estate is an interesting space to be here right now. Why don't we start by just getting your perspective on what's happening in the market? What's it like to be inside the real estate space right now? What are you seeing? How do you see things playing out? Just give us the inside scoop. Absolutely. So yeah, for, I always tell people for better or for worse, I know two things, which are entrepreneurship and real estate. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is what it is. And so I've got to roll with it so far. The in real estate, it's a very interesting time because there's not many times, if ever, that interest rates have risen this quickly, this high, this at this pace, this quickly. There, yeah, there have been higher interest rates than historically, and we've seen what has happened with them. And then also historically, they've come down faster than they've risen, but they've risen very quickly, very high, and that's created a lot of somewhat disruption in the real estate space, no matter what part of it you play in. My focus with Apartment Insiders is that we are in the, we work with, with large scale apartment communities. We are like a real estate agent for apartments. It's a free service to the resident. We get paid from the apartment community where that person leases out of that apartment community's marketing budget. And apartment communities love that because we solve a vacancy for them and we fill that vacancy and that's money they would never get back. Nobody owes it to them. It's, and it's a lot of money. So we charge a part of the rent and they're glad to pay. And then it's a free service to the resident. So that works in their benefit. And then it obviously works in our benefit because we're able to make money. So that's one thing that I really like about it is that about the model is that we, everybody wins in this scenario. So with all that said, for that business, there are a lot of people being pushed in the rental market. They, that have great credit, have a down payment saved up, have really good incomes, but they really can't buy anything anymore or buy a house anymore. That's what they want to do. But they, but so they're being pushed into the rental space and that's generating some more demand. The flip side of it is you're starting to hear of job losses and layoffs. Um, and while we don't know if this is just a temporary wave or a small wave, you hear of it a lot of a lot of tech companies as of this week, but or is it a is it just the beginning of something bigger? We'll see what's going to happen. So that could slow some of that demand. The other thing that's happening is a lot of apartment units, talking about the apartment asset class specifically, are being delivered onto the market right now, especially in Nashville where I am, but it's also happening across the country. It's for a variety of reasons. A lot of people the past few years have wanted just to develop apartments. There was a strong demand for them. Developers could get low interest rates. You can get loans from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac for those deals. And there's definitely a shortage of housing. So there's a lot being built, especially in Nashville. Nashville has one of the largest supplies of apartments hitting the rental market 
actually starting to lease up out of the entire country right now. And while there's strong demand, that there's still a lot of the apartments hitting the market at once. A lot of that's due to supply chain shortages from COVID. I call it a COVID hangover. And there's these apartment communities that are just missing. Miss, they're missing cabinets. They're missing countertops. And you're kind of windows. One little component that they need to really open the project that you can't really rent out an apartment when the cabinets aren't installed. And so paint has been uh, just little oddball, all odds and end things. The residential for sale market, I think, is definitely chilling out. Now, I don't expect values to drop proportionally to the rate at which interest rates have gone up. But values may stagnate, maybe even dip a little bit. If somebody's a cash buyer right now, the market's very much in their favor. And it may even become more in their favor in later 2023. I think 2023 is going to be an extremely interesting year for real estate in general because of kind of what can happen and who is at an advantage and who is at a disadvantage. As to do we think, I do, I think level assets will see the level of distress that they saw in the great re- financial crisis, the great recession? No, I don't. I think a lot more real estate assets have a lot less loan leverage on them or their loan to value ratio is a lot lower than they were in that scenario. So they can handle a higher amount of stress. I don't know really any banks that are lending on non-owner developments or real estate very right now for the most part. So traditional banks, they're pulling back. And in fact, some of them are starting to sell loan portfolios of real estate because they've got to balance out their deposits and loans. And they're really hungry for deposits because all of that government stimulus, Paycheck Protection Act, idle loans, all that stuff, all that money that came in from the government that was really bolstering their deposits has now gone back out into the system, people's stimulus checks, that sort of thing. So they've lost a lot of their deposits while also, so they're looking for that while also having concerns over higher interest rates on real estate type loans. The office sector is definitely facing challenges. Whereas over the past year, or especially 2021, we've seen a lot of people shed office space. Some of those buildings are turning, being turned into apartments. If the developer can make it work and you can get all the plumbing in there that you need. And I definitely think that the designs of them are being rethought and there's a high demand for smaller spaces within office. So there's been a lot of companies that said, hey, we're not getting rid of all of our office space. We want a place for our team to meet, but we definitely don't need this 20,000 square feet that we've had. And that will shed X amount of dollars off of our bottom line. And then where that's also helped them is that there's been a lot of wage growth the past year or so. And that's been an area where they can keep up with that wage growth of, hey, we can cut our real estate expense as an office user. And that gives us some money in the P&L to give a little bit stronger raises in order to retain high quality team members. And there's, I guess, a variety of things going on, but there's the quick rise in interest rates that has def, def, definitely put pressure on the market, but it depends on what side of it you're playing on. As it, in, at Apartment Insiders, we work with these rentals. Our business is going great right now in this current environment. And you expect that to continue into 2023, given the overview that you just shared? For Yes, absolutely. For, the, for what we do, the side of it we play on, I definitely expect that we're going to have a great 2023 in 2024. Now, for developers or owners of new product, especially in our market, they are going to have to give a lot more concessions than they have the pad than they've done over the past two years. Now, the flip side of that coin is there was over 20% rent growth. So the market's been in the landlord's favor quite a bit. And so it's hard to complain too much for because, but they're going to have to 
give away some concessions and some specials in order to attract residents. How much or how strong do those concessions and specials have to be to attract residents? That's going to really depend on how soft the economy gets in 2023, whether we have a hard landing or a soft landing with regards to interest rates, taming inflation, that sort of thing. And there's just so much mixed data out there right now that it's hard to get. It's just a big fog at the end of the day. Rent and housing costs play a big role in the consumer price index, which is a key metric that the Fed looks at to determine how aggressively they're going to raise interest rates. But the challenge with that is, is I think a couple of things. It plays too big of a role within the consumer price index. It's really sized a role and there should be other things that kind of play a, a bigger part than they do within the consumer price index, as well as the data is delayed. So the Fed's working off of data from three months ago when they're making decisions where a few months ago, rents were still increasing very aggressively. Now they're not so much. So it's not, it's just not real-time data while they're making real-time decisions. I think they know that, but it makes the making those very important decisions very tricky. And I'll just end it on this. Raising interest rates, that is a blunt force instrument to tame inflation. And there are casualties whenever you use something like that. It's a powerful tool, but it's a blunt force instrument. Housing and housing affordability ultimately will be impacted by that because there's all the short-term issues of just being able to buy a house and that sort of thing, but it's killing a lot of deals. The answer to more affordable housing is more housing supply being built. And any developer looking at building a project that starts in 2024, 2025 right now, is absolutely rethinking that project. The project is off the table because of the where interest rates are. And while it's going to be a little bit more of a renter's market in the short term, housing affordability is going to suffer in the longer term due to that. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that really excellent macro picture. And now let's transition and zoom right into the micro. So with Apartment Insiders, you're pioneering essentially an industry that didn't exist before in favors of both consumers and businesses. You're essentially unfreezing an asset. And when we look at, let's say the past 10, 20 years, if you look at companies like Uber, if you look at companies like Airbnb, they've created billions, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of value by unfreezing an asset that was previously not being utilized. And there was no economic value that could be extracted from it, whether it's an empty room in someone's house or someone's car or even their time. And this, the way you've architected this business reminds me a little bit about that. And typically those opportunities are really excellent for starting and growing a business because the, the asset already exists. It's just not being realized. It's not been capitalized on and you can come in and you can basically serve both sides. Let's explore a little bit what led you to start, what led you to find, identify this problem and come up with this potential solution. And what was the journey in really conceiving of that? Great question. Yeah, the journey with that was, is that without going back too far into my history, I got a degree in finance with a real estate concentration and then got, had a lot of success early on with that. We, when I was 20 years old, I got a real estate license because I didn't know what I was going to do after college. My family couldn't aff afford to send me to backpack Europe like the, some of my friends got to go right after college. I knew I was going to have to go to work and be good at whatever I did. 
So I got a real estate license when I was 20 years old, simply to be able to get a good internship. That's what I was looking for. And, and I thought, I was like, I don't know what this thing is called a real estate license. I looked up the criteria. You had to be 18, pass a test. And I was like, okay, well, I'm a pre professional student right now. And I'm over 18. I think I can do that. And so I did. Saved us some money over the summer, paid for it. Got this real estate license. Nobody would hire me. When I got back to college, I was just like looking for any sort of internship and nobody would really give me a spot. And I finally found this guy that was willing to take a chance on me. He had a property management company. And I was like, I don't know if that's what I wanted, but you're the only person that will take me. So I'll, he hired me to collect rent all over town. And this was 2005. There wasn't Zillow and a lot of data sources, CoStar wasn't what it is today, data points that are out there at that time. So I started collecting rent all over town for $8 an hour. And then investors came to town looking to buy investment properties, smaller investment properties. And they somehow they got a hold of my phone number and wanted to know, uh, they had questions about what things would rent for. And I would, I had information that nobody else had. I had inside information and I'd say, they were like, I'm looking at this property. What is it? What can it rent for, Joel? And I'd say like $1,100. How do you know that? They collect their rent on the one over there and it's not as nice. It's 900. And then the one around the corner, I collect their rent and that's 1400. So, and the X, Y, and Z is the, the reason why this one should rent for 1100. I knew things that no one else knew. And long story short, they're like, hey, can I just work with you as my broker to buy a lot of properties? because you clearly know the market. They didn't care that I was 20 years old. I couldn't even buy alcohol legally and they didn't care. And so the, because I knew stuff, I had, knew my information and I knew my stuff and I knew stuff that they couldn't find anywhere else. Long story short, that was in Arkansas at that. And I sold over $7 million worth of investment properties within 12 months while I was a full-time college student in one year. And I stayed in school full-time, just had to work really hard. To do. Um, but I learned a few things initially from that is knowing things that other people don't know you can there's way there are ways to monetize that thus the apartment insider's name even right you know there that we can but I, because you can add value so they don't care as long as you know your stuff they don't care who you are where you're from that that sort of deal and in apartment insiders we're able to train our team to become experts in the market i and i say all that to say then I was able to earn some designations called the CCIM when I was 23, which is a pre prestigious designation for commercial real estate. You had to have a portfolio of deals that you've done. And that's the reason that a lot of people get it in their like 40s. I had that portfolio of deals when I was in my early 20s from all those investment properties I sold. So I was able to get that designation as well as a certified property manager designation. It's a similar kind of deal. You have a big portfolio, but I happen to have that in my early 20s. And in doing all that studying to earn those designations, all that school, we just basically, what you do is you analyze the P&Ls for real estate projects over and over again. And what I started to see is that the biggest killer in the numbers wasn't real estate taxes, although those, those can be really expensive. It wasn't insurance, although that can be a big expensive number. It wasn't maintenance, although that can add up depending on the age of the property. It was vacancy. And these are dollars that you'll never get nobody owes it to you. And you don't also receive a lot of value. If you spend money on maintenance on your property, you're fixing it up. You're at, you're making it nicer in some sort of way. Typically, if you paint something, that's nicer than it looks nicer than it was. And it may be a small amount of value depending on the size of the project, but you added value to it. Vacancy, it's just, it's, it's a lost, it's real money that's 
really lost. If you do, if you, and every day that a, an apartment unit sits empty or some commercial space sits empty, I can get out my calculator and give somebody an exact number based on how much money they're going to lose by going to sleep tonight. The flip side is that if we can feel that, and I think of it as an apartment insider is taking a big envelope full of cash, so like a $2,000, if a place rents for $2,000 a month, a 12-month lease, that's worth $24,000. What does $24,000 in cash look like? Like a big yellow envelope. And we take it around at all these properties and say, hey, you know, do you want these $100 bills? Do you want these $100 bills? Who wants them? And then, and they're like, yeah, absolutely. Any, you offer that to anybody, they can understand that, right? And they're like, yeah, what's the catch? Why are you going to give me $24,000? Hey, we're going to give it, I'm going to give it to you, but we're going to take a few of them out and you keep the rest. And everybody's happy in this scenario. And for our client, our client's lease that we're shopping around for them to the apartment communities is worth that amount of money. But any, at the end of the day, it came from, to answer your question, it came from analyzing financial statements and just realizing that vacancy is the biggest killer. But if you can fix it, if you can improve it, and eliminate a lot of that, the properties will perform much better financially. When they do, that can literally very quickly add millions of dollars in value on an investment property for that owner. Millions of dollars. So everybody wins and can win big time. I love these stories because you're demonstrating quite a few really core principles. And I just want to pull them out for listeners, because there's a few things in what she said. One was that the genesis of this business and some of your previous businesses was basically what I call a proprietary insight. You had an insight that you had essentially proprietary uh, access to because of the position you were in, because of the situation you were in, the kind of work you were doing, the exposure you had to the market in a unique way. And that allowed you to identify an arbitrage opportunity. That's one, because a lot of really successful businesses are based on a proprietary insight that the founder has identified based on their domain expertise, based on all the reps they've put in, usually in a much lower leverage opportunity. It's that lower leverage trial and error that basically allows us access to this one insight that allows us to build essentially an economic engine, which is basically what a business is around that insight. The second thing that I want to pull out in what you shared was that your value proposition in this business is so good that some your ideal buyer would feel stupid saying no to it. Because what you've done is you've made it very quantifiable and clear how much money they could generate that's right now being pissed away in the wind. And you didn't stop there, right? The, you, first, you identified that vacancy is the biggest loss area. That's where they're basically draining value. You found a way to very easily quantify that. What I really love is that the fat envelope, which you're literally, it seems, acting out, you give them a very clear, tangible way to quantify the value of what you're selling. And then basically it's triggering loss aversion because you're literally handing them in their hands this envelope and now they want to keep it. And so the way they keep it is by working with you guys and they win 
the other side of the equation wins and you win. And the last thing that I want to point out, I've worked with over, at this point, 250 entrepreneurs, helping them grow their businesses exponentially. And the common factor, one of the common factors that I see over and over again in businesses that grow exponentially with significantly less effort, the bigger they get. Entrepreneurs who feel happy, fulfilled, their business is actually supporting their life. It's enriching their life. They're able to actually invest in their health, invest in their relationships and have more harmony, more balance. They're able to really use their business to fuel every other aspect of their life. Is that the way they've, and let me add one more thing, and where the company culture, where the team actually feels really good about the leadership of the business, where they feel safe, where they feel valued, where they feel excited and passionate. And obviously, because they feel all those things, they're performing at a much higher level, which means the business wins. There's a common critical factor that I want to highlight, which you're demonstrating really well, which is the business itself is a win. It's a win for the buyer of the product or service. It's a win for the entrepreneur and it's a win for the community. Every person or groups of people that the business touches. And when a business is architected in this way, where it's a win for everyone, then from a evolutionary algorithm perspective, it actually gains energy from its environment because it's doing its growth is in the best interests of everyone around it. And therefore, it usually grows much faster than other businesses where it's not architected in this way. Because in nature, there's a balance and harmony in everything. And businesses that mimic those principles that come from nature, where evolution has been taking place for hundreds of millions of years, billions of years, those businesses are successful not just in the short term, but in the very long term. They're sustainable. And over time, they require less energy from the entrepreneur. They require less energy in the form of sales and marketing dollars. They require less energy to push it uphill, but it feels like just cruising downhill. And I'm just curious from your perspective, is that are some of these things ways that you intuitively think? Or was there a journey in, in terms of trial and error that where you tried certain things that didn't work and then you kept iterating till you found this really beautiful fit with your market, with your product, with your customers, the whole thing? Yeah, great question. I would say, yeah, I wanted a business where I felt like I could sleep at night in a lot of ways, right? So in my prior career or my prior company, I did a lot of making rich people get richer. And I didn't, that didn't bother me. That was fine, but that's what I did for a living and, and would come in and solve their real estate problems. And these were multi-million dollar problems that they did not know how to solve. They were the ones with multi-millions of dollars, but didn't know how to solve their own challenges. And so in a variety of capacities, I would come in and do that for them. And that was fine. It was cool. It was a lot of fun. I still do some of that work and I, I do enjoy it. And it can be super challenging and you're, cause you're solving like really high level problems. But it does not get that oxygen that you're talking about. That and I, and then I guess just in doing this, I just saw that it was just really became a no brainer. 
of why is no one doing this? I, li- I live in a hot market, which is Nashville, Tennessee. We've been ranked twice as, just recently as the number one invest city for real estate in the, by the Urban Land Institute, a very re- highly respected report that just came out recently that we were the number one city twice. I think the only other city that's ever happened to was San Francisco back when the, all the tech boom was going on and Facebook really went public and all that kind of stuff. That was the only other city to do that. So a little smaller town with country music called Nashville to be ranked twice. Number one, there's a lot going on, interesting things going on here. But it just really came down to those, hey, why is no one doing this? And not only that, I'm in a position to do it. And so because I have these relationships with apartment communities, I can explain this to them on different ways that they can understand it. And at first, they didn't want to understand it, I would say. And I'll always, and I'll say this too. I went to the Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. So while the real estate program is good there, it's not very much of a, as a real estate focused school. It's retail and entrepreneurship. So the entrepreneurship aspect really thrived with me. And that comes because it's so very well funded by the Walton family who has their money from Walmart. And, but what I, I learned from that, what, and that culture, that Walmart type culture, which then Amazon's kind of taken a very similar approach is that. When you do something in the favor of the consumer and you really put them first, which is what we do is we offer them this white glove apartment search service where we do all the work for them. Doesn't cost them anything. And really, I, we're, in the, we're not just really in the real estate business. Honestly, I don't even think we're very much in the real estate business. We are in the stress relief business because I don't care how rich or famous you are. And, we, and in Nashville, we get both rich people and famous people because of the music scene here as clients. I don't care who you are, it, it, when, it, when you don't know where your next place to live is going to be, that is stressful. You are effectively going to be homeless if you don't solve that problem. And shelter is a basic need. So it's a stressful situation, no matter what your budget is, big or small. And so, when, But when you do something, in, when you become consumer obsessed and you create something that's in the favor of them, and then for anybody that sells their products in Walmart or Amazon, you get you get exponentially higher sales just by them putting your product in their marketplace. But just by in Walmart, you get on the eye level part of the shelf. That's a big deal versus way down low because you're going to get more sales more than likely if your toothpaste is here versus down here. And then in, it, in Amazon, same kind of thing. If you're ranked really well in, in, in Amazon, you're going to get a lot more sales. And so it's also better for the merchant. In our case, the merchant is the are the apartment communities. Every year doing that. Um, and then our team, of course, they make a great living doing this and they come from a very big variety of backgrounds that, but they just all, they all have one common trait is that they're very people oriented and they like to help people. They get to feel really rewarded every day. And so when they help somebody that's in a tricky need to find a place, they solve that problem for them. I love to give them pats on the back and we do lots of fun things within our culture and celebrations, but that client is giving them such a big pat on the back every day that they go home fulfilled make and they make a great living doing it. So it's an ecosystem that, like you said, it ha- has oxygen that it can breathe. And my ba- private equity background uh, with, when it comes to real estate, I had to make that thing breathe. And it felt like I was doing CPR a lot of the time, but whenever you could bring something back to life, yeah, it was rewarding, but it wasn't breathing on its own. Seeing just that if you do something in favor of the consumer, I guess it would be, somewhat intuitive 
but based on a few experiences of things I've been exposed that really solidified that, hey, I don't, I'm not really dreaming something up here. The reason somebody hasn't done this is they haven't had the moxie or guts to be able to do, or they just weren't in the right position because it took a reputation and relationships to really get the airplane off the ground. And, and there were a lot of skeptics at first. I bet Sam Walton and and Jeff Bezos, when they were going to get people to put their their products in their stores or marketplaces, they probably got some pushback and said, hey, we're going to take a percentage of your sales. I'm sure they got push, pushback as well. Or pushback is, uh, we're going to take a percentage of your price. Hey, why can I just not market my own product on your my own website? You can, but it depends on how much you want to sell. Because if you're on my market, you're going to sell a lot more. Totally. So one of the principles we have uh, at Scale with Psychology is that at every level of the business, the founder must essentially become someone new. They have to take on a different identity because they are exiting one stage of the business and the next stage of the business requires something completely different from them. In the beginning, there is a lot of testing that happens to get to that place where they are product market fit, where they understand exactly, okay, this is the exact problem we're solving for this exact avatar. And this is the solution we're offering. And it's great and it's different and it's unique and better because of all these reasons. And they get enough reps there so they can figure out, okay, now I need to go all systems go on this. And typically that takes them from, let's say, six, multiple six to seven figures. And then seven to eight is just repeating that. It's getting really good and getting really boring on solving that problem over and over again, better than anyone else. And doing that in a systematized way. And typically a lot of things change. The business gets more boring. The novelty isn't there that the founder typically started it looking for. And their dopamine system is going haywire. And they usually try to sabotage it by creating and seeking novelty from the business because they're using their business to unconsciously meet their need for novelty. They have to become more responsible. They have to take more responsibility because now they need a bigger team. Because ideally, what's going to happen is that the founder is going to exit all the hats and the roles that they were playing. And they're going to hire people and build systems to essentially replicate that delivery of value, whether it's in acquisition, whether it's in conversion sales, whether it's in the delivery or fulfillment, whether it's in customer support, customer success. Out of all the key components and functions of the business, they have to exit. They have to put people in place, create systems. And then going from multiple seven to eight really requires the founder to like fully exit. They have to become a passenger in the business. They have to duplicate leadership. They have to create more repeatability, more consistency. And in almost, in most cases, let's just say, I don't want to be absolutist here. They need a lead. So they need one very solid acquisition channel and they need a leadership team in place that can actually run and manage the business so that the founder can play the role of visionary or chief evangelist and focus on overall brand awareness, partnerships, funding, all that stuff. Now, I'm curious, with you guys are doing multiple seven figures, you'll be hitting eight soon. What are some of those breakpoints that you experienced in growing this business? What did that ask of you? And who have you had to become at those different breakpoints, at those different stages? Yeah, great question. You're, you're totally right. Of course, 
that that it's you just you start to shed all these hats and these roles. And my quick journey is that initially we whenever I was saying there were doubters as to whether or not people would want to, apartment communities would want to work with our service because they didn't believe that we were going to. I was like, once people trust us and the consumers trust us, and we really they realize that we they, we had their best interest at heart, they're only going to buy from our marketplace. And so, getting the apartment communities to sign up with our marketplace it took a minute. And so, initially, I um, I personally worked with the clients to help them find apartments, taking them to apartments where we weren't going to probably get paid because we had not built a contractual relationship with that apartment community yet. But I needed to build consumer trust first. So I did that. And I guess the, the term that a lot of people use for that is loss leaders. <laughs> I didn't really think of it as that at the time. I was just doing what I had to do. And then also that helped to attract a team that could do that role. So I could focus on being on signing up the communities with our platform, and finding people to do or residents to use the platform. And so it really, that kind of put me in a beta. It's a very interesting business from a standpoint of, I can't, you know, I had this B2B sales hat for, and then you had to take it off and put on a B2C sales hat, business to consumer. And then we're trying to get residents to work with us, but then also we need apartment communities, which is a B2B sales hat. How you approach those relationships is very different. And you had, and I really, even somewhat what to this day, when I have to get my hands dirty with that, I had to switch my mindset and realize which role I'm playing whenever I'm coming in to solve a problem or that sort of thing. Um, from there, it, we have very efficient ways of leading our team. And that's one thing I've learned over time where, where we have a couple meetings a week that I'm involved with. And then basically, I'll spend two hours a week with the team. Other than anything as a CEO, uh, other than anything that's very important where only the CEO can have two, week, two hours a week, I'll spend with them. And then they have, there's essentially a team leader role that helps work with them on solving training type stuff and solving smaller things. And these are all hats that I've had to shed along the way. I do still like to be hands-on somewhat with the training, but that's something that as we're growing from seven, seven figures to eight, that's something I'm definitely looking to shed, but it needs to, our training can, needs to continue to be where we take people. We've had people that are come from very tricky circumstances in their personal lives that have, I'm not getting the details of that, but they were in a tricky spot and they joined our team off, on a leap of faith. And because a lot of real estate roles, you hear people going to real estate, getting a real estate license and not succeeding. You hear that all the time. And I don't want people that have the drive, the mindset, skill set, willing to put the work in. I don't want them to come to our team, not succeed. So that's a, something I'm very focused on and working to grow someone in, that can be just as effective into that role. And that's some something that I'm currently working to shed as we kind of work towards an eight-figure range in revenue. So, but it's still absolutely, my goal is to have a, what I don't have right now, but I'm working towards is, is I want to be the chief visionary, you can call it whatever you call it, and then have someone that's an integrator. And that They play that role even to the extent of we take a client out to business, sorry, a client out to lunch, they don't even know that I have to know that I'm the founder. I may go on the lunch, but I would want that integrator to even, and we're paying for the meal. I want that integrator, it'll be come with company money, but they're the ones with the credit card paying for it. And they're the ones that they don't even realize that, have to know that, hey, I'm the owner, I'm the founder. They can just think I'm just, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm the lower level guy. 
because this is the person that's really running the show. And that's what I'm striving for and seeing who, whether that person is going to come from the outside or is going to be groomed from the inside. I fully don't know yet. Once I had that established, we're going to be able to grow this concept into other secondary real estate markets in the United States that are starving for this. And because this is, and it has to be done the right way. And maybe a small example, you have Uber, you have Lyft, and then you have all of the other taxi cab services out there or knockoff versions. But really, you, nail, you can name, two, most people can name, two, and they're always working on their customer experience and making it better. And they, those are the ones that are trusted. So with that said, we can, I don't, I'm fully comfortable with this platform because we've worked out a lot of the kinks. And I would just say that's probably something I did early on that I keep forgetting about was the chief designer of this platform and how we're going to deliver great customer service, how that's going to look, educating apartment communities on what to expect so they get excited about it. And it truly becomes a great partnership and not just a transactional relationship. And, and then we can grow into these other markets across the country and fill this void. And if there's, like I said, if there's a taxi cab service there and already in town, fine. We're not going to stress about that. We're going to come in and offer something that's different than what they're offering. Maybe effect, somewhat the same, but again, our, we're in the stress relief business. We're like massage therapists. They're not in the touching people business. In the stress relief business, a bartender's not. So that's how some people relieve stress, but they're not. They don't call themselves drink pourers. They're there to deliver an experience. A personal trainer is not a rep counter. They are there to deliver results that that relieve stress and, and get you in a better uh, position as far as your health goes. And that's what we really do. And I think that's what, what models like Uber, Lyft, Amazon. And even to an extent, Walmart, because I could get Walmart stuff immediately. That's what they do for me is they deliver an experience that takes the stress out of a situation. That's really well said. And there's so many things in what you just highlighted. Everything from really understanding what the real problem is that you're solving with your business. I find that most entrepreneurs don't really understand what problem they're solving. Right? There's big difference between the features of what the product or service may provide compared to the actual outcome or value, the core value that's being delivered. And often it's a few levels. I also really acknowledge how you're trying to perfect the model in one location, in one geographic area first, before then replicating that nationwide, or maybe starting with the hot markets where there's a lot of pent up demand for a service like this. And the third thing is it really is evident that this business is built on relationships and you've really taken your, your core skill in that area and then you've replicated it across whether it's relationships with consumers in, on the B2C side or on the B2B side with apartment buildings. And architecting a two-sided marketplace like that is not easy. And it's a fairly complex system and I want to really commend you on going about this in a way that has led to you still feeling so passionate about the space and the business, not resenting the business and creating such explosive growth. So in that journey, were there, were there any sort of big hurdles or challenges, whether it's mindset or strategy or leadership that you really had to overcome that really tested you? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. On the B to on the B to B sales side, it it's you don't know. People get into these decision making roles 
different ways. They may come from a high finance type background or they never, and they never heard of our concept before. So they're skeptical. They're, these are people that are used to being sold to a lot. And I have to remind them that we are not looking to sell to you. We are looking to bring you revenue, you know? So we're not selling you anything. We're increasing your revenue and we're taking a few bucks after we do that. It's a performance guaranteed situation. After we, we are, we are bringing you our new revenue stream that you didn't have and wouldn't have without that partnership. So getting past a sales stigma with regards to in it, on either side, on the B2C side, that service is free. And sometimes people come in and, and we live and breathe the apartment market all day, every day, but they're what we call self-searchers. They think they can do this better than us. And that's okay. We let them, if that's what they want to be, that's fine. I know people that don't go to the doctor when they're sick. And you know what? That's okay. That's on them. As long as they're adults and whatever else, then, you know, now if that headache gets bad enough, maybe they will. But when they get a mild headache or a mild cold or, uh, you know, whatever sort of symptoms it may be, they're the people that just don't go to the doctor for, if it's a personal belief system, if they're lazy, I don't know what, what it is. So that's where on, for a self-searcher on the B2C side, we let them make that own decision, their own decision. And they maybe come to us and, to test our knowledge. But with it being a free service, um, it can be a little frustrating whenever they're trying to one-up us. It's maybe you don't need our help. And we're okay with that. And that's what's best for you to do this if that's what you want to do. The on And on the B2B side, I think it's going back to that. It's partnering with people on different levels. You don't know where their, what their background is. Like how well do they understand the financials of an apartment community? And do I need to, do I, am I going to have to sit there and teach them that? aspect of it, which is like a core essential part of their role and have to do it in a way that is empathetic to them not understanding that. And you don't come off as um, snobby or above them or any, because that's not how I feel. It's just trying to figure out what level they're on and help them understand how we can help them at once you figure out what level they're on. And where, whereas if you're in some sales roles, you know, exactly what the demographic is of the person you sell, you're selling to. You know what their educational level might be. If you're selling to chief technical officers of Fortune 500 companies, they're going to fit some sort of box. They're probably going to have a degree. They're probably going to have some engineering background or something like that. You're going to be able to talk at a certain level with them out of the gate and you'll understand that profile. And then you just tune the pitch as to what their needs are. First, I got to understand who we're talking to on the B2B side. And they may be a decision maker, but they may be fairly new to business in general. And they don't really even understand a P&L very well, to be honest with you. And so help, helping to educate them without coming off pretentious or smarter than them, or the, which is not, absolutely not the goal. But it's but it can be a challenge for sure. Does that, that answer your question? Absolutely. What would you say is the number one constraint right now to 10x this yeah here there is a very clear answer to that and it is attracting team members what we who we call consultants but they're basically effectively real estate agents for apartment buildings and it's a commission-based job and attracting more of those people to want to come do this kind of work the people that on our team that are here that they, they love for the most part that they love doing what they do all day every day they I think they truly believe, and this is what I hope they do, or else they need to go find a place where they feel this way, where they would say, hey, shh, 
I can't believe this is a real job. Don't tell Joel. I would do this for free if I could. Don't tell Joel because he may quit paying me because I'll probably stick around. Of course we wouldn't. But it's that's the type of attitude that I think a lot of them have. And that's what we're looking for, where they truly feel like they get to go to work, don't have to go to work. But since, so with that said, we spend time at our office because that's where we meet our clients as part of our process to educate them on the real estate market, educate them on their apartment options, pre-qualify them before we go take them to look at apartment options in the market. So that way they narrow it down to like their top three choices and we're not looking at 10 apartments and they get analysis paralysis when making a decision is in their best interest. So with all that said, the uh, now that we've always had offered a hybrid position to, mm. to come work. But now so many companies are offering what's called a hybrid position with g- decent base salaries. Now, the downside to that is if somebody starts to hit their head on that glass ceiling of they're getting this base salary for doing this work, but they're not, they are not in control over what they earn. If they come in and just do an awesome job, they're going to make the same amount of money as if they came in and did an okay job for the most part. And it's good enough to keep the job. Whereas in our world, you get to build the city of Nashville. You get to spend time with cool people all day, every day in person. You get to make new friends that you would never have had. And you get to be in brand new, fancy, interesting apartment buildings. You get to be right in the middle of a very hot city, a very hot real estate market. And you get to be the connector. You're the one that builds a city. A city is not built on buildings Build it, it's built on the people that are there. And that's what makes a city great or not great. And it's, it's the people. We are the ones that help these people find a place to live. You've got to have the buildings in order to attract the people, but you've got to have the people and the right kind of people in order to have a great city. And so we're trying to attract those people at Apartment Insiders that really believe in that mission. And they, are, they also believe in themselves and they're willing to take that leap of faith and do a commission-based role. And and although they have these other hybrid opportunities that are out there that used to not exist prior to 2020, and then it, what happened in 2021 is that they came into solidification, right? So in 2020, people didn't know if this flexible hybrid sort of work model or work from home model altogether was a temporary thing or a permanent thing. And then in 2021, companies started to call say it's a permanent thing. And they even took demonstrated it's a permanent thing because they shed office space. Hey guys, we don't even have an office anymore for you to go back to. So when we said you're working from home and we're not gonna call you back to the office, it's clear we're not because we just, our lease expired and we didn't renew it and we don't even have an office anymore. So they um, they walk the walk and talk the talk. And so therefore attracting the right people that are still interested in what we do and understand the messaging of it. and They appreciate the flexible schedule. They appreciate that it's hybrid but that's not the primary driver. That is what in this new hiring environment we are having to adapt to and ensure that our messaging is on point with the to attract and be a magnet for the people that would love to do this. So you could probably cut this last segment from this interview and use that as your recruitment message. I think the way just the way you describe the culture right now and the opportunity. And again, I want to commend you for painting the higher level vision. You're not doing sales and recruiting customers, you're building a city. And it's that quality that makes a founder a visionary. It's not the title. It's their ability to actually paint the vision 
and to really get people excited. And you're demonstrating that in spades. So I really acknowledge you for that. Joel, it's been a pleasure having you here. I appreciate your perspectives. I appreciate your thoughts on the real estate market and you sharing your journey on building apartment insiders to multiple seven, soon to be eight, and hopefully nine and 10 figures. You're a great leader. You've demonstrated so much fortitude and just intelligence in some of the decisions you've made. And I always say that a business in its current state is a product of the founder's decisions up to this state. The cumulative decisions are what generate our results and your results are spectacular and your decisions are really intelligent. Thank you so much for being here. Before we wrap, please tell listeners where they can find you. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not the best with social media. I probably need to I need some help in that area, but uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Joel Sand is how you can find me, but just Joel Sanders in Nashville. See a face that looks the same, and that's me. Apartmentinsiders.com is our website to learn more about the company, the business. And also, we're looking for partners in some other key markets to potentially share our systems with them, or real estate is local. So if there's somebody that kind of gets interested in what we, and they're in a different city where they believe something like this could work, I'm open to having a conversation because that's always is building out that leadership team. I don't know if we could take somebody that's super well-trained from Nashville and deport them to a different city that they are much less familiar with. We would like somebody that's really ingrained locally and that we can help them with the systems that we've built potentially. So love to have those conversations, but apartmentinsiders.com and then email me, jsanders at apartmentinsiders.com is my email. So I'm accessible. And love to have conversations about this kind of stuff. It's what I live and breathe and I'm passionate about. So you heard the guy, email him, get in touch, apartmentinsiders.com. Joel, thank you again for being here. I'm excited to see you just flourish and thrive. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is a great podcast and I look forward to watching it grow as well. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you found value, please consider leaving a five-star review to allow the show to reach more people or share this episode via your social media channels. If you're an entrepreneur and want support in exponentially scaling your business, email me at ani at animanian.com.